Let's now continue worshiping Jesus by turning to Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4. As you may know, and if you don't, you will know soon, we are in a series on the atonement. And we've been looking at this idea of atonement, and we've been asking ourselves several questions and trying to build a foundation uh, from which to work upon and build upon. Here's the reality of it all, in sort of a nutshell, is this. Jesus died, that's a fact. That he rose is a fact. But what is the meaning of that death and resurrection for us? That is the discussion of atonement. And that is what we want to continue doing today as we now look at the end of the Bible. You remember, I I told you that all good theology begins at the beginning, right? And that's why we've parked for so long in the beginning, in Genesis. Now we're going to flip through all the pages down to where Revelation transitions out of just being a book to the seven churches, but instead now gives us a vision of something much more than what's just happening here on earth. Let's read here in chapter 4 of Revelation. This is John the Beloved, Apostle of Jesus Christ, as he is on the Isle of Patmos, and he's in exile. He says, After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, which one seated on the with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and of Carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were twenty-four thrones. And seated on the thrones were twenty-four elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion. The second living creature like an ox. The third living creature with the face of a man. And the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was 
and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before Him who is seated on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are You, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for You created all things, and by Your will they existed and were created. Jesus, would You now speak to us in, with the same Spirit that spoke to John? Could You, in a place of worship like this, Rend the heavens and come down for just a moment. May we see you in the beauty of holiness, we pray. Amen. The scene is pretty clear, I think. But just to make sure that we're all on the same page, this is a scene (laughs) really unlike any scene I've ever seen It's two different kinds of scenes, by the way. In earth. I mean, just turn on the news for a moment. Look on your phone after worship and look and see what articles come up to be read. People are worried about this. They're worried about that. This scene, there's no worry. There's a king. There's an almighty king, and he is on the throne. This is the control center of the world. By world, I mean cosmos. Everything both unseen and seen that has been created. God is not seen wringing his hands, wiping his brow, pacing back and forth. These people, what are they doing now? No. In complete control. This is a scene of Jesus as the King of all. And He has established... This is what He came preaching. He has established a new kingdom on earth. As it is in heaven. We are not waiting to go up to God. Whatever kind of teaching leads us to think of those terms, that we're just trying to plug away and do our best and be moral and be good so that one day we can go up to heaven where God is, hasn't read the good news. God has come down. We don't have to try and go up. He has come down to us in Jesus Christ, the Word of God. Now, John knew Jesus in his 
earthly life. And yet, John receives a vision of Jesus that blows his mind once again. Initially, back in chapter 1, remember how he says, this voice that I first heard, like the sound of a trumpet, was like the sound of many waters, we're told. Because when he turns around, it's a cosmic Christ. You're not just talking about a guy in sandals anymore that doesn't have a halo over his head. Now it's unmistakably the king of glory. The first time he came, he veiled himself in flesh. He looked as we do. No one could just by looking tell this was the king of the universe. It was by faith. Even for them. Now, John sees a picture of Jesus that is unmistakably clear that He is the King of all. And that His throne room is not in crisis mode. We oftentimes talk about, oh yeah, the stats in Christianity are bad. It's decreasing in the United States. And that is true. On any given Sunday, anywhere from 17% to somewhere around 25% of people go to church in America. That's why there were so many people still parked in their uh, driveway when you left. All those houses. And we feel as if it's a lot of churches around and the kingdom of God is broken in. But when I read about the kingdom of God, it sure doesn't look like it's broken in much. And we get depressed and say, yeah, well, doing the best we can. No, he's not in crisis mode. The church is not in crisis mode. The Holy Spirit is on the move. The Holy Spirit has not stopped saving souls, transforming lives. There's reports coming out of Muslim nations. Massive converts in Iran. You say, I didn't see that on the news. They don't get money. They don't make money, I should say. By reporting good news. They have to create crises for us. That's why we're like, you know, that's always, it, it irks me to death. You know, if I ever do watch local TV, which is rare, it's like, you know, virus spreading in Huntsville tonight at 10. I'm like, so you want me to go out and eat? And get this unknown virus. Like, if you really cared about me, you'd tell me right at the 5 o'clock hour, right? You want me to wait until 10, and then, even at the 10 o'clock, then you're going to push it back, Mr. Producer, to the 30-minute section so I had to watch all that other garbage. And then finally, at some little outbreak. You really cared about me, you'd tell me up front. Well, I'm really telling you up front, there's good news for Christians. Our master, our president, our pastor as Christians is in a control room that is not in shambles. He is not sweating it. He is in complete 
and cool control. And that kind of kingdom needs to break into our little kingdoms where we have minor problems to Him. I was reading in my personal devotion the other day and woke up laughing. Actually, I woke up early. That It was the other day when we had this conference. And the Lord had gotten on to me. It's a long story. I won't tell it here. And I, and I basically just had to say, yes, sir, you know, on the way home because I was like, I was, yeah, no, you're right. <laughs> You don't want to argue the other way with God. And that next morning, I, I woke up, and the first thought I had was, I need to, get, I need to uh, do, my, do my scripture reading. And I laughed because I knew the, knew the chapter already. It's First Kings, or sorry, Second Kings 3. And, and, I, and I literally laughed in bed, cause, and I smiled, and I was like, I see what you're doing. I see what you did there. He got on to me about something, and then it was followed up, substantiated, if you will, in the Word of God through the life of Elisha. He had just gotten started. It's a long story. I won't tell it here. But suffice it to say, here's what Elisha is told to tell these three kings who are really in bad shape. He says, this is a little thing for God. It's a little thing for Him. He'll do it. It's a little thing. I just thought, you know, you're right, Lord. I've got all my stuff that I can... You know, I can oftentimes identify the problem real well. I don't always have solutions. But I can certainly, I can hone in on that problem. It's a little thing to God. We're worried. We let anxiety of life overtake us. God says, ask me. I'm the king of the universe. Did you not know? Have you not seen Have you not heard? Maybe he, like in our scripture reading today, Jesus gives the guy a wet willy, apparently spits in his hand. Now you can hear. Get all that junk out of your ears. And he makes some mud for that one fellow that he heals, puts it on his eyes. And now he can see. Lord, help our unbelief was my prayer. We don't really believe He can do it. Because I don't think we really believe there's a scene happening right now in heaven. Of God on His throne. But this is exactly the vision John gets. And I just want to say, and this is is crazy, the way He's brought about salvation is to say to us, just walk by faith. Walk by faith and not by sight. Are you doing that? The Lord checked me this. I can ask you that because He checked me this week. Somebody had spoken about something and I critiqued them, which I'm good at doing. Not always good at having the solution again. And the Lord said, why are you worried about that? It's a little thing to me. We are called to submit to the rulership of the king on his throne. You say, what what does it mean to walk by faith in the kingdom of God? It means that we... Just think about this. 
let's just say 20% of people went to church today. Out of that 20%, the statistics are abysmal, even of those who, have, who of us who go to church. In other words, the maturest part of our faith is to a profound love for God and a profound love for other people. Now, if we were just sort of measuring by that rubric of your past week, of my past week, maybe even of the past 24 hours, do we have any evidence that we have a profound love for God? A profound love for other people? And if we don't, then it's simple. We're not living under the rulership of His kingdom. We're off to the side. Maybe on the edges. And I hope you are. It's a great thing that you're on the... But dive into all of His kingdom. His kingdom has come. Have you not heard? His will is being done. And we're participating in that. We don't create worship. Worship has been happening since God created. And it's not ever going to stop. We simply join together and gather together to join with all the saints, all the elders, with God Himself, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God of power and might. We are called to live upside down. At least according to the world standards. Aren't we? To be sideways, if you will, in this world. People, what's wrong with that person? (laughs) John Piper... I disagree with theologically. (laughs) But I love as a brother. Listen to me. Join hearts as a brother. You see, we can do that in the kingdom. We can do that in the kingdom. Many years ago, my brother Justin attended something that I wasn't able to go to. It was Passion. Does anybody remember Passion? Uh, you know, it was a movement of, of college-age people and early, ni- uh, late, uh, sorry, 19, 1900s. <laughs> Is that correct? That sounds so weird. Anyway, 1990s, late 1990s, and into the early 2000s. And they had, a, they had what was called One Day. And it was a huge gathering of, of just young people, youth groups, college-age people, young adults, in 2000, over here in Tennessee, not too far from here, a little above, uh, right around Memphis, out in a big field. They just took a big field, brought in some, one of those speakers was John Piper, in his 50s at the time. He's become very influential since that day. Not that he wasn't before, but much more now. And on that day, a few words a few words changed an entire generation. And I don't know if Google was listening or I don't know if it was God. But Justin and I were talking about that and then an article popped up 
in my feed the next day, and I read it and was reminded of what he said. And I think it would do us well in thinking about the kingdom of God to hear the words again. He tells at one point in his sermon about two ladies in their 80s. And both these ladies were in a foreign country, basically loving on the poor. They weren't building stuff, moving cinder blocks, pouring concrete. They were just, one of them was a nurse, and she gave her life to this area of poverty and just said, I'm going to love people. And another lady was like so moved by that that she came and joined them. And so it was those two ladies in their 80s. And one day they were driving, and it, this is a mountainous place, and, and their brakes failed. They went straight off a cliff. And right into eternity. Both of them were killed instantly. He says, tragic. But then he questions and says, is that a tragedy? Is it? Being in your 80s, flying off a mountain serving Jesus and meet him face to face. What's tragic about that? Then he pulled out a little piece of paper that he had taken from a Reader's Digest. And he read about a couple mid-50s who were able to make a lot of money and save it up and retire early. And they moved to a beach town. And the article said they really enjoyed walks together, golf, and collecting seashells. And he looked at those thousands of young people in his mid-50s and he said, that's a tragedy. That's tragic. To spend the most mature years of your life collecting seashells? What does that look like when you get up to that throne room? Very different scene than the two older ladies who flew into eternity. I can tell you that. Are you living a tragedy? This is the end. What we just read, that's the end of the story. And it gets better. I mean, from from this throne room, this control room, we move finally out to what's happening down in the world, and it's nasty. Things are blowing up and stuff's pouring out. I mean, it's you ever read Revelation? It's crazy. And then at the end, he sums it all up. Jesus is both the beginning and the end. You may have started well, but where are you today? What are you living your life for? Is it Jesus? What are we going to bring to Him? Time on our phone? 
a high score, a big 401k, all the Netflix shows we've watched, movies we've enjoyed, the nice house we had built, the vehicles we drive, the success at work. What is that in this scene? Have we brought the kingdom in? Have we come under the rulership of the kingdom that is breaking in? His kingdom is here. His will is being done. Is it done in your life? What if, what if today was the first day where you said, you know, I want to be a part of this kingdom because I know where we're going is to the king. When you make that kind of decision, that's where atonement happens. He has atoned for us. <laughs> this is crazy. Y'all got, I didn't put my timer on, so forgive me if I go over, but we got kicked out of the garden, didn't we? Humanity. And, you know, we've all participated in that same disobedience, haven't we? And it's interesting to follow this through. When you read Genesis, God removes them from the garden because of their disobedience. And who was it, do you remember, that guards the doorway to the garden? Cherubim. It's a weird term. I mean, that's probably something you don't use at work. Cherubim, which is a plural. It's cherub. It's some kind of four to six winged angel with four faces. Ezekiel saw them. One was, or four were just described here. The four living creatures. These are connected to Ezekiel's vision, which again, four-faced, six-winged, or four-winged for uh, Ezekiel, six-winged here. These cherubs. They were guarding us from the doorway of the garden. Follow me now. And it says that lightning was flashing at the doorway where they were standing. Like a sword. I just thought like of Indiana Jones, you know, trying to get through these. Like, I don't think we can time this right, Mission Impossible kind of thing. You know, I don't know what it was like, but that's just what was in my head. I don't always let that come out, what's in my head. That was, you were privy right there. That was a moment. And these cherubim, we're told, were there guarding humanity from the doorway of the tree of life. You say, man, that's, a, that's not good, I don't think. <laughs> you know? That doesn't sound good. Uh, Here's God guarding us from something good. Puts us out into the wilderness. But as we know, he atones for them immediately, right? I mean, he apparently kills an animal, clothes them, and makes a pathway for himself to come. He actually says, look, Eve, yeah, you were the first one to sin, but also through you will come the one. 
There's a prophecy there. The seed. Who will, you remember? Crush his head. He'll bruise his heel. Jesus. But that's not the only place cherubim show up. Do you remember the Ark of the Covenant? Anybody remember that? Yeah? What was on the Ark? What was on the lid, actually? You know, it's called the mercy seat, but that's just a big fancy word for, or phrase for lid. It's the lid of the altar in the Holy of Holies. You know what was there? Two cherubim. And their wings were almost touching, we're told. And this is where you place the blood. Now just, just think real quick with me. We're kicked out and we're guarded by these cherubim. Now, only Aaron's line can stand before God in the holiest of holies. And there are cherubim, and this is where he, trembling, puts the blood. Splatters it, actually, on the lid for our atonement. That's what the Day of Atonement is. One time a year. He get, only one time do you see these cherubim a year. And it's only the high priest in the line of Aaron. They're still guarding They're still guarding the doorway. But there's atonement. All throughout, there's atonement. By blood. We're told, you read Hebrews, it's all about, but get this. Can I just read you something real quick again? I think we passed over it. After this, I looked. (laughs) And behold. Now, in my Bible, there's punctuation of an exclamation point. A door standing open in heaven. These four living creatures that we're told about later, they're not guarding anymore, are they? Do you see the point? Now, these same cherubim that were guarding the doorway of the garden, guarding the doorway of the presence of God in the Holy of Holies, now the door's open. There's no more guarding. We can come in to the Holy of holies. He invites us in. The door is open. And it's been opened by the only one who can open the seals, we're told, in chapter 5, who is both, as John looks at him, he says, I, it's, it's so weird. I see both a lion representing king of the jungle, the man, and a lamb slain at the same time. Humble lamb of atonement. He blew the lid right off, in other words. He has opened the door for our salvation. I mean, maybe you're not seeing the same vision I'm seeing, but that is some good news for us. That's something to tell other people about. There's no more working your way up to God. The door's open. 
He's come down. His kingdom is already here. In communities like this, this is where the kingdom of God is taking over. It doesn't matter what the statistics are, or what the scene is like, or what the persecution may be. God's kingdom will come to earth. And He will stand, just like Job saw, on this earth as the Redeemer. And when He stands on the earth, it's a sign of power. The second time. The first time was humble. The second time, power. He's bringing that that throne room right here. But He can do it today in here. Whatever kinds of chaos and turmoil and sin and nastiness and boredom and whatever else is in us, He can bring that kingdom here. Do you believe that? The door is open. And by faith, we can walk in. Don't be a tragedy. Don't, you know, a person in my my life died yesterday morning very early. When you go, don't make me preach your funeral and be tempted to lie. If the evidence is not there, what does that mean for us? A profound love for God. A profound love for others. If you don't have it, it's time to repent and believe and be baptized. This is what happened on the day of Pentecost, wasn't it? When the law came in here. You know, Pentecost was a celebration of the law, by the way. Festival-wise. They were celebrating the law. And now the law comes down. It's just crazy. Do you need to repent? Let's spend some time in a moment doing business with the king seated on his throne. If you don't know that atonement, that at one meant with God and with other people, with yourself, with nature, he's offering that today. The door is opened. Walk in by faith in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.